It's Monday, February 27th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross, and for Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. Gentlemen, happy Monday. Hey, Chris. Happy Monday. Um, the topic on the table for the day, just one topic, and Joe, I know no one in the room was more excited about this <laughs> than you, and that is uh, Warren Buffett's annual shareholder letter, which came out Saturday morning. You were up early, weren't you? I, I was up very early. I set an early clock. I Did had you a like couple make cups a day of coffee. Of it? Yeah. I, you know, my fiance, I was like, honey, you know, Saturday is going to be a busy day for me. The Buffett <laughs> letter is coming out. And she's like, okay. All right. So there are uh, a lot of things about the letter that we will dig into. But let's start with the thing that is getting the most coverage, certainly over the last couple of days since the letter uh, first came out. And that is the question of Warren Buffett's eventual successor. Um, This is uh, these are the, you know, the the most clues he's given out at any point to date, um, where he said that he and the board of directors at Berkshire Hathaway know who the successor is, but the successor doesn't know. Who's the most likely candidate? Joe, I'll just start with you. Yeah, I think the smart money is on Ajit Jain. Ajit heads up the reinsurance business at Berkshire Hathaway and has for a long time. Phenomenally successful, talks to Buffett every day, and he's someone who Buffett just heaps praise on every year in the annual letter. A guy who's well-known to have high character. Buffett thinks the world of him. And it helps that Alice Schroeder has mentioned in the past who – for those who don't know, or was the Buffett biographer, the authorized Buffett biographer for the Snowball, has said that she believes from talking to family members and whatnot that he is the preferred choice. And I think you'd be kind of silly to bet against those two things. Buffett has actually said that even kryptonite bounces off of Ajit. <laughs> so I, I don't know how much higher praise one can get, but being compared to Superman is pretty cool. Um, is there... The potential for a dark horse. We've talked in the past about Ted Weschler, Todd Combs, you know, the, who, who have um, uh, great uh, investment portfolios that they've been, you know, put in charge of. No, you're saying no, not those I think, guys. No, definitely not. I would say um, more likely it would be an operator of one of of their non-investment business. So Matt Rose of Burlington or Greg Abel of Mid Mid American Energy, Tony Nicely of Geico. Those. It's one of those four, including Ajit. I would I would be almost positive. Yeah, I think Matt's too new. And I think Tony is too old. I think Greg Abel would be the guy there. He was the number two under Dave Sokol, who we haven't talked about in a while. <laughs> well, yeah. either did Buffett, if you if you noticed. He was, yes. he was nicely left out of I the I did letter. notice that. Yeah. Um, not that we're uh, trying to push Warren out the door at Berkshire Hathaway, um, but since he brought up the topic of um, you know his successor, uh, and one of the things he spelled out was that you know he, the the job is going to change um, whenever his successor takes over, um, so that they'll they'll basically just be managing the business and less of the investments. Is that d- did I read that correctly? Yeah, they're splitting the role to where you'll have someone managing the business from a strategic perspective and from a management perspective, and that'll be the CEO. And then you'll have individuals running money on behalf of Berkshire, and that's going to be Todd and Ted, as I guess we'll just start referring to them as. <laughs> um, so he's Buffett's the chairman and CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, but uh, Matt Creer, our producer, and I were talking earlier. Um, he also has sort of this unofficial role in, in America, in the world, as sort of this ambassador uh, for investing uh, for U.S. businesses. I mean, some people have, have called him sort of a, a cheerleader for the U.S. economy. Um, when he's no longer with us, who's going to fill that role? Because it kind of feels like, when uh, certainly since the economic crisis of 2008, when Buffett has come out and made pronouncements about the U.S. economy, 
Uh, he's given a great deal of weight. Certainly, uh, he's earned it because he of his track be. record. Um, but is there someone who's going to step up and fill that role? And if so, who is a likely candidate for that? I don't think you're going to find anyone who bridges the gap between Main Street and Wall Street like Buffett does because mm-hmm. he's able to take such complex concepts and make them simple to where anyone can understand them. You know, there's not going to be another Warren Buffett. I think the most logical guy that will get a microphone stuck in his face will be Jamie Dimon, who got a lot of praise. J.P. Morgan? Yeah, of J.P. Morgan. Ironically, J.P. Morgan himself was probably the original Warren Buffett in this regard. But I think Jamie Dimon is someone who can kind of carry that flag. He's basically the face of American banking. Uh, J.P. Morgan, the firm, is very well respected. And Dimon himself is well known for being a pretty straightforward, smart communicator and a you know big proponent of capitalism and free markets, and I do think he brings a different voice than Buffett. And they're not two guys who are going to share the opinion, same opinion on a lot of things. But you know he could be that torchbearer in a sense. Ron, yeah, that's a tough one, Chris. Um, there really is no one to replace him. You have you have very successful investors with tremendous track records who kind of can pick up that value investing mantle, mm-hmm. whether it's a Seth Klarman or a Bruce Berkowitz and a Marty Whitman, who's kind of already an older sta- elder statesman, old. right? But nobody has that kind of Buffett name, that cachet and, and the respect. Um, you have operators or even politicians who sometimes take on the role of elder statesman. I can see Bill Clinton, you know, moving into the, a role like that. Mm-hmm. But it's different than someone like Buffett who can bridge the gap between economics, business, social, um, and politics – He's one of a kind. Um, so the news of his eventual successor, that, that dominated the coverage. Other than that... Uh, Can I just add something on of that? Of course. By a very means. subtle point that I think most people overlooked because they hadn't had as many cups of coffee as I had before <laughs> reading the letter was that the compensation arrangement for Ted and Todd, with the two guys who are going to be managing money for Berkshire, is very unique. Um, so not only are each of them going to be 80% compensated on their long-term returns, mm-hmm. which is very Buffett-esque and obviously very good news and shareholder-friendly if you're a Berkshire investor, but also 20% will be based on how well their partner does. So it sounds like a subtle thing, but there are a couple underlying points there. One is that Buffett doesn't want to turn this into a thing where these two guys are vying to be the CIO of Berkshire. Instead, he wants them to be operating like Charlie and Warren have been doing for so long. Uh, Charlie Munger's the vice chairman at Berkshire and Buffett's longtime partner is the way he refers to him. He wants these guys working together to create value. And the idea <clears throat> is that they will get better returns by working together and the firm will too. And ultimately, they'll own manage manage their own kind of fiefdoms of money, if you will. And, you know, that could evolve over time. But I thought that was very clever on Buffett's part and a smart long-term move just to make sure the incentives are right. Yeah. I don't. I honestly don't believe either of them did this for the money. Um, they were doing fine without this. Right. They could actually yep. make less money doing this than they were in the past. Um, running the Buffett portfolio or the Berkshire Hathaway portfolio is an incredible honor. And it, there's a, a bit of, I don't know what the word is, not Nostalgia is not big enough. Um, it's it's quite an honor, and so I think they're there for other reasons than money. Headline for you guys, other than uh, the talk of a successor, what what stood out to you? We'll we'll dig into some of the companies in a moment, but I'm just curious, what was something that maybe surprised you or was noteworthy in the letter, Joe? Well, the the underlying businesses are killing it. Uh, they're five biggest independent That's units. That's a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. killing it in a good way. Killing it in a good way. Got That's it. what the kids say these days, Ron. They're <laughs> okay, killing it. Sorry. 
Um, the five biggest business units outside of insurance all had record profits. Uh, Burlington Northern Santa Fe, which is the massive railroad they swallowed up a couple years ago. At the time, people thought it was a pricey deal. Well, profits are up 72% in the two years since then. I was going to say, I, th- it's I, phenomenal. I, I don't think it was just that people thought it was a pricey deal. It, it was kind of a, it was a pricey deal. <laughs> yeah, well, that's pretty consistent. When you look at Buffett's track record, people will often say, I thought this was a value guy, and he's going in and buying the stock that's gone up a lot. Well, they said the same thing about Coca-Cola, said the same thing about IBM about a year ago, and it's up about a third since then. Obviously not a long time, but you know, general point being, he's willing to pay for quality when it's there, and especially for businesses that can produce outsized results for longer than other people expect. Ron, what stood out for you in the letter? Uh, for me, this was the year of the Berkshire share repurchase, the buyback, and never before has, has Buffett given us more information about his thoughts about what Berkshire Hathaway is worth. And interesting, from the letter, we found that he really was only able to purchase $67 million worth of Berkshire stock uh, before it Sofa rose change. <laughs> re- re- before it rose above his self-imposed limit, which is yep. about 110000 on the A shares, maybe seventy three on the B shares. Um, so that gives us a really interesting uh, look into what he thinks it's worth and what he's willing to pay. And uh, who, who better to take a guidance, investing guidance from than Warren Buffett? Yeah, um, he was very explicit. Like he went down basically the individual business units and was like, I think this is worth a lot more than book value or I think it's at book value. And he gave about as much guidance as any CEO probably could as yeah. far as being like, let me just spoon feed you everything I can without just coming out and giving you know a master equation or some sort of specific number. So speaking of getting investing guidance from Warren Buffett, one of the stories that came out this morning was that a couple of years back, Steve Jobs contacted Buffett and essentially said to him, look, we've at Apple, we've got all this cash on the balance sheet. What should we do with it? And Buffett's bottom line was, you should buy back shares of your own company. That's when Apple was trading around $200 a share. It's obviously now well above that. Um, Steve Jobs didn't take his advice. And I suppose in hindsight, it's easy to say, wow, that was a huge mistake. But, yeah. but, um, but I'm just curious how much uh, weight you guys give share buybacks in general. How bullish a sign uh, should that be for investors? Ron? Well, I think First of all, it's very difficult to do well because being a very good operator of your business, knowing how to operate a retail chain, for example, is very different than making capital allocation decisions in the investment world. I mean, we couldn't run a retailer, for example. (laughs) Right. And there's a lot of this old fear and greed thing that comes into it. When your stock is low, there's probably something going on in your business that isn't stellar at the moment. And that's when perhaps you need to step up and buy your stock back. But these operators are human beings, and they say, well, now's the time where we actually are going to conserve cash, and we're going to suspend buyback programs. And it's often exactly the opposite of what they should be doing. So I think history has shown that it's a very difficult thing to get right. You agree with that? Yeah, I do. I get really annoyed with companies, one, that don't buy back their stock when it's cheap. I, the financial crisis just jaded me on share repurchases because so many great companies whose stocks got crushed were like, well, we're going to you know, manage for cash right now and we don't want to put that money you know, into buying back the stock. And I'm like, well, you were buying it back at a price double <laughs> six months ago what it was and now you're not going to buy it back? That just killed me. But you know, that's one thing. Another is that you need to watch out for serial repurchasers of stock. So a lot of, especially tech companies, will buy back stock basically just to offset stock option dilution from employees, mm-hmm. which isn't 
you know, a very shareholder-friendly way to approach the business. And, you know, I like companies, by and large, that have the ability to buy back stock consistently over a long time. But it's more the business model that I like, not necessarily that they're buying back the stock. Let's go back to the banks for a second, because, uh, Joe, you mentioned Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan and, and his communication skills. One of the things that uh, Buffett put in the letter was essentially a call for people to go out and read Diamond's annual letter. Um, there was also praise for Brian Moynihan over at Bank of America. Um, and we've talked before about Wells Fargo and, and the, the holdings that, that Berkshire has and certainly Buffett's affinity for Wells Fargo. Um, but when it comes to uh, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, is, is this just Warren Buffett sort of talking up people he likes and investment he has because Berkshire has a big investment in Bank of America? Or, sh- or should investors read more into this that, uh, you know, that he's swinging more towards uh, Wall Street banks uh, being a, a safe haven for money? Well, banks are cheap. I don't think anyone, well, a lot of people do disagree with me, and that's why they're cheap. But I think banks are cheap, and Buffett agrees. He bought back a lot of Wells Fargo or purchased a lot of shares of it recently. I think he's not really talking his book so much as with BAC, Bank of America. He's trying to explain his investment case and just kind of reiterating the high points, and especially that he trusts the person in charge, uh, Brian Moynihan, who has got basically the most direct way to unlock value of BAC. And I think he does need to say, you know, I have a lot of confidence in this guy. And as simple as that sounds, it does go a long way. And you know, in the case of J.P. Morgan, I think he's basically just giving a shout out to some great work that Jamie Dimon has done. Ron? Yeah, what I know about valuing banks could literally fit in the thimble. It's not, it's not my thing. It's, 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 it's too convoluted for me to, to, to be able to get right, in my opinion. What I think Buffett likes most is the model of banking, just like he likes the model of insurance, the way cash flow comes in and what you can do with the cash and the way that flows through the business. And so he continues to be a big fan of that, regardless of where we happen to be in the cycle of banks you know, um, making mistakes or the, the business cycle. Um, Joe, you said that earlier when we were talking about sort of the, the businesses and how they're doing, you said that you know, Berkshire's killing it. Uh, but Buffett, uh, one of the things he pointed to was housing, uh, made it clear that they're not killing it in absolutely every business. They're getting killed there. Yeah. He, it's he, a reverse killing. He came out and said, I was dead wrong uh, when it came to housing. Um, some of the investments that Berkshire has in, in, the, in the housing market, uh, Acme Brick, uh, Shaw, uh, MyTech, that sort of thing. I mean, they're they're sort of troubled by that. Where, where do you come down on sort of uh, where you think Buffett is thinking uh, obviously, he came out and said he was dead wrong, but he also, but then went a step further. And it's like, but it is going to come back at some point. He had a, a great line about eventually people are going to get sick of living with their in-laws, and, and they will go out and buy a new house. <laughs> and by the way, all those stocks are up today, <laughs> so Buffett still has power. What do you think, Joe? I think the real mistake was his making a short-term call on where housing was going to be in the past year. I do think the logic of his, you know, multi-year thesis for housing coming back in a big way is very sound. And it's I think it's difficult to argue with that you do have a lot of people who have been putting off this purchase. New home sales have been in the gutter for a long time. And eventually the math works out. And, you know, he was on CNBC this morning saying that if he could buy up single-family homes, you know, in mass in a way that made sense for Berkshire, that he'd be all over it. And I do agree with that. And I think housing's pretty attractive. And, you know, it'll be a bumpy ride, and not every way to play housing is created the same. There are a lot of home builders with 
really ugly balance sheets, for example, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it'll be bumpy. But I do think if you're looking with a three to five year horizon, which you should be, that it could be a really good time to buy some of the better capitalized, more conservative plays on housing. Wells Fargo being, you know, one of the classics there. Ron? Yeah, I quite frankly, I wish Buffett had put it just like Joe did. I don't like when anyone <laughs> write that down. Did someone get that? <laughs> I don't like when anyone, let alone Buffett, makes these short-term calls. Like if you want to make an investment because you see see a kind of like a, a trend down three years down the road, by all means, go ahead and do it. But to make these short-term calls, it's it does it's not very Buffett-esque to me. Like it's 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 a flip of a coin. Um, I like when he makes broader statements, which actually mean nothing, like America's best days are ahead of it. <laughs> and, and I believe in America and I'm investing in America. I can get behind that, but these short-term calls are a coin flip. Uh, we've talked very recently about C's candy and, and, and what a great investment that has been uh, over time for Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, and thanks again to the listeners who sent us <laughs> samples of C's candy. I get it now. I'm a believer. <laughs> I'm, I'm a firm believer in why people are just nuts about that candy. Um, I'm not asking you to make a short-term call, um, but uh, what I am going to – I'm long peanut brittle. (laughs) (laughs) But what I am going to ask you to do is to look at Berkshire's holdings. Um, Seas Candy is obviously not on the table since it's not a publicly traded company, but there are any number of publicly traded companies that Berkshire uh, has holdings in. Um, What's one that you think is, if not the best buy now, then certainly uh, would be on the short list of a best buy now? Ron Gross. I'm going to get killed here. I don't see any of them as being dirt cheap, quite really. Frankly. I could, out of the universe of stocks, I would. There are other stocks I would go to first. You like I, dirty value, though, Ron. I don't know. Well, that's true too. I, right. I like dirty real value. Me. However, I mean, he's got some wonderful, incredible companies that will continue to compound value over time, which is what he's looking for them to do. So, a company like Coca-Cola, you, you can't can't lose because of Coca-Cola. It's a fine company. It has incredible international expansion opportunities. And to buy it now and hold it for years to come, I'm sure you'd do quite well. Joe? Yeah, I don't think all their holdings are buys. Uh, I think Johnson & Johnson and Procter & Gamble are both buys right now, and they're both buy recommendations and inside value. Uh, two great franchises, strong business models, great long-term competitive dynamics, and great brands. And I think they'll do very well. I, I do think that Wells Fargo is, again, probably the most interesting play there. Uh, when you look at the valuation, no disagreement with Ron, that banks are extremely difficult to value. But if you just kind of back up a little bit and look at it, you've got a stock that's selling for a price-to-book ratio of about half of what the long-term average is. Its returns on equity have been 12% over the past year. Historically, it's around something like 16%. You know, you start doing the math on that, and basically now would imply that it's a great time to own Wells Fargo. And I don't own the common stock, but I actually own the warrants, which is an even more levered <laughs> wow, play of nice, the same story. Nice. So it's kind of saucy. The, warrants, the, the understanding of the warrants wouldn't fit in my thimble either. <laughs> I'm really talking my book on that one. They're really convoluted. But bottom line, I do think it's really cheap, and I agree with Buffett. And you know, Berkshire stock itself, I also think is cheap. So I think Buffett actually made some some negative comments about J and J, either on CNBC yeah. today or in the letter. I don't remember which, where he said he would actually look to, to sell it if he needed capital for something better. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. All right. And uh, before we uh, let you get away, gotta gotta give a shout out to Joe for his call on uh, last Thursday's Market Foolery, calling the artist for Best Picture. You nailed it. Were you watching? I hope everyone Oscars? made money on that call. Yeah. <laughs> in their Oscar pool. Did you actually stay up and watch the Oscars? I did. I went to sleep though. Right before, with maybe what I assume was like thirty minutes left of song and dance and commercials. I, commercials were killing me. I don't watch a lot of TV anymore, and so 
It's painful. Speaking of comedy, do you think you can bet on the successor to Buffett in Vegas? Do you think there's a line there? I don't know. Let's check Intrade. Intrade is the is the website where you can. They had a market for the Oscars. Yeah. Um, they have a market, a market for market politics for, for you know the GOP nomination. I wouldn't be surprised if Ajit will sell you a policy based on whether <laughs> he will be the CEO. Joe Mager, Ron Gross, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow. How many thimbles do you have?